Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you need additional help on how to do that, we have a Next Steps page on our website that you can check out. Also, if you haven't been able to attend a service at any one of our campuses recently and participate in the time of giving, you can give anytime you want online by visiting our Give page or by texting to give. We hope that God speaks to you in this sermon. Take care. everybody. Welcome to church today. How are you today? Hey, it's so nice to see you. Uh, as you're probably aware, we are in week five of a teaching series that's based on an interaction between Jesus and this learned scholar guy. So the scribe comes up to Jesus and he asks this very important question. He says, okay, Lord, so if you consider all of the commandments and the decrees and the laws and scripture, I want to ask you, what's your take on which one is the most important? Which one is the greatest? And if you uh, want to know about this conversation yourself, you can find it in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. So if you have a Bible, let's have you go ahead and turn there, please. We're going to camp out there a little bit and bump around in some other places. Now, this question was very sincere. There's other times when people ask the Lord questions and they're not sincere. They're actually trying to entrap him so they can pounce on him. But this one was legit. And we know this because we have some evidence that tells us that the rabbis of Christ's day were having this ongoing conversation about which commandment was the greatest one of all. And uh, the reason why they had that is because in Judaism, sometimes laws would clash with one another. And so you had to ask, well, which one gives here? For example... There is a law that you're probably familiar with that says you're not supposed to work on the seventh day. Does everybody know this one? Are you with me? Oh, you are with me. You're alive. Okay, good. Then, on the other hand, there's another law that says that you're supposed to circumcise your male child on the eighth day after his birth. Well, supposing that the eighth day falls on the seventh day, does the priest then circumcise the child and do his work, thus violating the, the, the Sabbath commandment? Or does he delay the circumcision by one day and violate the circumcision commandment? What do you do? Which one gives? Which one takes precedence? What does God want me to do in these situations? And so these kinds of conflicts were happening enough in Judaism that the rabbis started to ask, well, is there kind of some like master commandment? A command that's the most important of them all. And so the expert in Jewish law, he wants the Lord's take on it. And so Jesus, right away, he goes, okay, yes, there is one that is the greatest. And that's where we pick it up in verse 28, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark uh, 12, 28. Jesus says it this way, the most important one, the greatest one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he gets to it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then the second one is this. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So Jesus teaches, okay, so listen. If you ever get confused about God's laws and there's fog in the room, then what I want you to do is look at the situation through the prism of love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you're going to get clarity on what God wants. The fog is going to leave the room. And after this conversation, we read that the guy, he completely agrees with Jesus and he walks away saying, okay, yeah, this is it. He's got this figured out. Now, the brilliance of this interaction is not only did Jesus perfectly answer a very thorny Jewish theological issue, but at the same time, he also provides a framework for how to live out the Christian life. So as per usual, yeah, who's with me? Jesus is simple, yet he's astonishingly profound because he puts us right at the heart of who we are as believers and what we must become as Christians. And, and if we ever, you and me, today, East Bay, 2018, September, if any of us ever were to get confused about what we feel like God wants in a situation, maybe there's some clashing, there's a conundrum that we're in. Well, what, what we do is simply just go back to this passage, this teaching, and we look at the situation through the lens of love God with all of ourselves and love our neighbor as ourselves, and we get clarity on what God's will is for our life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful, church? Yes, it is. It's absolutely genius. So today we're going to look at what it means in this teaching. We're going to look at what it means to love God with all of our strengths. We've learned previously in this, in the series about loving God with our, all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls. And today I want to answer this question. What does it look like to love God with all my strength? Or what does it mean to love God with all my strengths? Now, when I was younger and I came across this passage, this was my favorite part of the teaching because it meant that I could get outside and I could love the Lord with my strength, okay? I could, I could go do muscle power. Uh, I'm not very strong, so just have some compassion. Have some compassion. But in my version, it meant that I could use what little muscles I had. So like if someone in the church is moving and they need help horking all their stuff into the U-Haul, well, then you go and use your strength to help them. That's the love of the Lord with all of your strength. Or like here at Cornerstone, we send teams down to Mexico to build homes for, for people that don't, for families that don't have homes. And so you're on the roof in TJ, and it's 107, and you're putting shingles on and you're sweating and you're about to faint and fall off the roof because the whole day you have been you know moving building materials around trying to build this structure in the hot tj sun and man that is so good because you're sweaty you're hot and at the end of the day you're you're sore right you've done some work you've served the lord with your strength anybody ever done that i'm not making a good case for that am i you should do that though it is awesome it's incredible or we have other opportunities, Cornerstone. We have mobile church campuses where really it's, it's like two hours of just furious work to set up a church environment at a school or somewhere, a community center. And then we just tear that thing down. And in the meantime, hundreds of people enjoy. That's just work. That's, that's, that's just using your strength, using your muscles. Or we have food packing events. We have school cleanup days. We do stuff, right, where we move around where we move around and we use our energy and we use our bodies to express our love and service to the Lord. So is that what this verse means? Well, yes, certainly. But as I've gotten older, I realize there's more to it than this. 
there's some depth to this teaching because it actually goes beyond the physicality. And that's a good thing because if it's all about muscles, well, then I am in deep trouble. Okay, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't given very much to begin with, and what little I do have seems to be dissipating every year as I age. Anyone relate? As we age, we lose a little bit of physical strength despite our best efforts to stave off entropy as our bodies break down over time. And this concern, by the way, applies to all physical limitations that we may struggle with, whether it's permanent or temporary. But at the same time, I want my love for Jesus to increase, not decrease as I get older. And so based on this, there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to it. And thankfully there is. And so I want to show you what I mean by that. So we're going to do a little bit of some, we're going to do some nerd work this morning, and we're going to dig into the original languages of this word strength. In English, this is found in our Bibles in both the Old Testament and New Testament all over the place. But when we kind of seek out this deeper meaning, we look at the original Hebrew and the original Greek, and this really comes to life. So let's start with the Hebrew word for strength that's used here in our passage. Jesus, as we've learned, is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is in the Old Testament. And when we go back there, we find that the word strength in Hebrew is the word ma'od. Everyone say that with me. Ma'od. Isn't that a beautiful word? Ma'od. Now, ma'od, surprisingly, has nothing to do with physical strength. There's actually a different Hebrew word that would perfectly encapsulate that, but it's not used here. Instead... We have this word, and here's the meaning. I'll give you some, some of the meaning behind this, the literal translation. It means very, or greatly, or much. And you find that ode all over the Old Testament, and typically it's used alongside another word to intensify its meaning. So, for example, in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, after every day, God calls what he made good. But the seventh time he says it, he calls it ma'od good, much good. In the story of Cain and Abel, also in Genesis, Cain wasn't just a little bit angry at his brother. He was ma'od angry. Okay, he was bent. He was uber bent. That's what that means. Um, Other times, biblical authors would emphasize something even more so by using ma'od twice in a row. For example, when the Israelite spies went through the promised land, they were scouting things out. Then they reported back to Joshua and Caleb that the land was ma'od, ma'od good. Ma'od, ma'od. Ah, super duper good. Much, much good. So it's very clear to us that ma'od does not necessarily mean physical strength, but rather it means very or much. It's a thing, and then it's, and it's the thing that's enhanced. It's the bold-faced part of the thing. It's the accelerated, the deepened, the heightened thing. And so we could, you know, play, play with this a little bit. We might say then, in light of this, love the Lord, your God, with all of your muchness. With all of your muchness. Do you get this? No? Okay, that's okay. We have more to go. What what, what does that mean? What does muchness mean? All right, let's look at the Greek now because this is where the coins are going to drop. The word in Greek, strength, is this word in the New Testament. It's 
Iskis. Shall we say this together? Iskis. Wonderful. My Greek New Testament professors would be so proud of Cornerstone. You are geniuses in the making. Iskis. Iskis is a, a word that has some really interesting connotations. Here is the literal meaning. It means abilities, exceptional capabilities, and strengths. Okay, so now we're getting to the heart of what the Old Testament writers were getting to when they talked about loving the Lord with our strength. They were talking about loving God with the abilities that God has given us. The stuff that I'm good at, the stuff that you're good at, we use now to express love towards God. And so it becomes the aspect of me that is bolded or that is accentuated or that is heightened. It is my muchness that God invests in us. And this brings us all into focus. Now, given the language nuances here in my very unqualified way, the Billy unauthorized version, I think it would be best to translate the verse into English. We just put an S at the end of strengths in our Bibles. So if we did this, we would see this. Love the Lord, your God, next slide, with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strengths. Now this makes more sense, doesn't it? It means to be aware of myself enough to know what I'm good at and go out and do that thing that I'm good at and do it as I'm doing it, just for the Lord. To love God with my strengths means that I know my abilities and that everything that I am and everything that I am capable of becoming, that all comes into play as I express love to God by excelling at the things that I'm good at. Imagine, if you will, a, a loving father in this illustration. There's a loving father, and for his daughter's birthday, he gives her an awesome bike. I mean, just an awesome bicycle. It's got a banana seat. It's got wheels. It's got ribbons coming off of it. It's just, it's, it's like, it's just like this perfect bike. And that's all that this girl wants. And, 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 and she loves the bike. But this is a tragedy. She just loves looking at the bike. And she never gets on it and rides, pedals her little feet, riding in the wind blowing through her hair through the neighborhood. And that's all she would need to do to bring joy to her dad, to make her dad smile. But the bike just sits in the garage collecting dust. Would that not be a tragedy? The gift was meant to be used to take her places, to bring joy to all that would watch her and to bring joy to herself. And so then, it, looking at it this way, could, could loving God with all of my strengths be as simple as enjoying the gifts that God has given me? You know, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that each of us have gifts from God. Each of us. No one has zero. Nobody gets left out when it comes to the distribution of gifts. Now, some of you have been told, unfortunately, by key people in your life that you're worthless, that you have no value, that you have nothing to offer. I understand that. That was a little bit of my story. And yet I'm here to tell you, 
the, the truth. I'm here to tell you the truth that we find from Scripture that we can base our life on, that the opposite of that is true if that's happened to you, that you are valuable, that God has, has skillfully sown into you certain packages of gifts and abilities and capabilities that are unique to just you. And nobody gets left out. Everybody has something that God has invested inside of them that they're good. So let me encourage you to never sell yourself short. The Lord has done a great work in each of us because of his love for us and his wealth that he has. And he freely distributes these things amongst his kids. And our job is to determine what they are. God's job is to determine who gets what gifts and in what amounts. Our job is to discover them and to develop them and then to leverage them, to use them to the full. Is anybody tracking with me? This is the Bible's teaching throughout the Old and the New Testaments. This is the normative life of what it means to follow after God. The discovery, the development, and the deployment of the gifts that he's given you. Now, this is what loving God with all of our strengths really means. Okay, this is so important that Jesus elsewhere told an incredible parable to further help us understand this principle. Now, this is a famous passage. You've probably heard this. Uh, If you're new to the faith, maybe you haven't. But many of us have read and heard teachings on this this parable called the parable of the talents. Have you you heard of this? Matthew 25. If you have a Bible, please go ahead and turn to Matthew 25. We're going to read a little bit of this together. Now, talents is a little bit of a... A misnomer in the sense that in this parable, a talent is actually an old-fashioned, like, sum of money. Okay, so this is like a denomination of money. It's like a Swiss franc or a euro or a peso or whatever, but this is a talent. And we actually don't know what one talent equals in terms of, you know, U.S. dollars or so so forth for today. So, But a lot of people think it's a lot of money. So let's just say one talent equals like a million bucks. Okay, there's... There's actually some evidence that it's a ton of money. It's a year's wage, it's a lot of money, or it's like even more than that. So that's what we see here with this. And the whole, let me give you the punchline of the parable. Let's get right to the bottom line. The whole message that Jesus teaches us here is this. Don't waste your gifts. Don't waste your gifts. Don't sit on the abilities and the special capabilities that God has given you and let them rust and dust in the garage because God wants us to use what he's given us. Okay, let's read it a little bit. Verse 14 and 15 on the screen. This is Jesus talking. He says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Whose wealth? His wealth. Whose wealth? Whose house? God's house. Whose wealth? God's wealth. Now, here's what he did with his wealth. To one, he gave five talents. To another servant, he gave two talents. And to yet another one, he gave one talent, each according to his, what? To his ability. All the servants had abilities. They did not have abilities in the same amount or in the same ways, but they all had abilities. And God entrusts his wealth to them according to that, uh, that structure. Point is, nobody got zero. They all had different ability amounts, and the Lord distributes. Now, some of us might read this, and we're like, okay, well, this is not fair. This is so inequitable. I mean, why would some just get more than others? All right? That doesn't seem right to me. I mean, maybe you're, if you're, if you're kind of a millennial and below, this is a struggle for you, okay? Hmm. 
Gen Xers and baby boomers were kind of like, okay, no, that's, that's kind of normal. But, but okay, so, but that's not, a, that's not a bad way to, to sort of let this hit you. Okay, so here's the answer to that concern. Like I said, it's God's job to determine who gets what and in what amounts. Fair, okay, fair is not a biblical value in this context. You see, God is perfectly wise, and he is perfectly sovereign, which means the perfectly wise and perfectly sovereign God of the universe does what he wants to do with his wealth. It is his prerogative entirely. Our job is to not focus on what we have and don't have. Our job is to maximize what we do have. And so really the teaching that bubbles to the surface right away is focus on the gifts that you do have, not the ones that you don't. And on top of that, don't focus on what somebody else has and compare yourself to them because that's no good either. And let's talk about that next. You'll notice if you keep reading that the first two servants immediately go out and they leverage their gifts and their abilities and their talents. They just go out and they start creating value for God's kingdom. They spent exactly zero time comparing what one had to what the other had. Did you notice this? So comparison, then, is nowhere to be found in this entire teaching. And, in fact, we can infer that comparison is going to cripple you. The comparison is it's a trap, especially when you consider talents and abilities. You know, oh, well, that person can cook. I can't cook. Well, that person can sing. That person can lead. Or that person is a good orator. Or that person is this, and I don't have that. I mean, it goes on and on. That person can dunk a basketball. I can't. I struggle with that one. I mean, we all have ones we struggle What's yours? And we compare. Now, comparison, though, is a lose-lose situation. All right? There's a double loss here. The first loss is when we compare ourselves to someone else that we may be more gifted than they are. And we're kind of like, yeah, you know, that person's not there yet. You know, I kinda, I'm, you know, I've got more mojo here in this case. And then what happens is something called pride begins to sneak and enter into our hearts and root itself into our personality, and that is an ugly thing. And pride, my friends, is not why God gave us gifts. That's the first loss. The second loss, you flip it around. You compare yourself, like I said before, and the person that you're looking at has way more ability and way more mojo than you do, and what can happen is immediately this cloud of condemnation sets over you, and, and that is also not why God gave us gifts, to be condemned. And so pride and condemnation are this double whammy when we engage in the comparison game, and we're to not do it. We're to resist the temptation of that. And unfortunately, our culture is kind of based on comparison more and more. You see, the last thing you want to do when it comes to comparison for those who are, give people who are addicted to comparison one of these things right here. One of these things. This, what is this? Okay, this is a Samsung. Samsung. This is not an apple. Apple is evil. It is a cult. We resist that in Jesus' name. So, that's not the point. That's not the point. This is, this is a toxic nuclear comparison entrapment device because every single second of the day via this device, we can compare our real sucky life with someone's perfect fake life on social media. Can I get an amen? 
you know, you see those pictures, you know, hey, uh, here's a, just threw this spread together in a few minutes, and it's like this massive meal that took hours. It's a lie. You were a liar. You woke up eight hours ago and have been cooking. In fact, no, that's not even your kitchen. That's not your living room. You pulled that off Pinterest. You're a liar. But for a moment, we buy into that lie. And we think, oh, my goodness, I could never do that. I'm such a loser. And then that thing comes on us called condemnation. Or how about this one, you know, just rolled out of bed, duck lips, lazy Sunday. Post that on. You little liar. You have been primping for hours. You Photoshop. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dangerous game, isn't it? It's a dangerous game. And the servants, the first two servants teach us, Oh, just stay laser focused on what you've got and what the Lord's given you. And don't worry about comparing yourself to anybody else. So when the master comes back, he comes back to settle accounts in the story. And it says after a long time. We don't know how long. This is a long time, maybe a lifetime. A long time later. The first guy who had five, he doubles up. He gives the master back ten. He doesn't keep any of it for himself. The second guy had two. He doubles up as well. Gives the master back four. And if you read the passage carefully, you're going to see something very interesting. The master gives the exact same blessing and compliment to each of the first two servants. Here's what he says. He says to the first one, Well done, my good and faithful servant, You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's the ten-talent guy. Then the four-talent guy, he says the same thing too. I love this. Literally, it's like the Bible writers just copied and pasted it. This is so, it's just key to us. Because it teaches us that it doesn't matter what your initial conditions are. It doesn't matter what your initial capital was. It just matters what you did with it. The amounts, the types. It's, it's all about maximizing what God has given you. Now, the last servant, things get really serious in the parable. We read that the last servant, he got his portion, and then what does he do with it? He buries it in the ground. He never uses it. And when it was time to settle, he runs to where he dug it up, and he digs it up. And if this was a million, this was a million dollars of currency, that was, that was a lot to dig up. So he was busy. I mean, he was sweating. He was active. And so he digs it up, and he horks it back to the master, and he gives it back to him, and he sort of mumbles like, well, I was kind of afraid of you because you seem like a shrewd guy, and he's got all these excuses. And this is the part that's super sobering. The master was not happy. He's like, you could have just put it in the bank and got a little bit of interest, you know, 1%. That's the least you should have done. You didn't use it at all. And it actually says that the master casts this servant out of the presence of the group. So here's the story. Don't waste your gifts. Don't waste your gifts. Because God expects each of us, the master, 
to use, to leverage, to create value with what he's given us. If we waste our gifts, it would be the greatest tragedy. We're created by God with a certain skill set, a certain set of abilities and strengths. There's things that we're good at, each of us, where we excel. Is that not true of yourself? All right, let me just illustrate this. There are a million ways I could illustrate it. You guys know me a little bit, so I'm kind of that nerd guy. I took, a, um, I took one of those personality tests. This is like a long time ago, and it came back that out of 100 points, I scored a 99 on logic. So basically, it was like a picture of Spock, you know, live long and prosper. <laughs> and with logic comes like an ability for math and for computer programming and kind of algorithms. And sometimes like I see, I feel like I'm Neo from the Matrix when I see everything in like little binary codes like you're anybody. Well, okay. Uh, the Matrix was a classic film uh, 18 years ago. No? Anybody? So, okay. Thank you. Thank you, mister. Um, you're wired. Like, who else is wired this way? Raise your hand. A couple people. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. The four of us in this room, we can, we can be together. Some of you are not, right? This is, like, not how you're wired. You're wired like, okay, this is a foreign, desolate, ruinous place called Mass. And computer, I mean, just, no, no, no. And, 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 but you're good at other things, right? You're good at other things. Karis, uh, my daughter, my 15-year-old, Christy and I are our daughter, Karis. So she's good at math, but where she really excels is in the area of music. So she can hear a song one time, maybe two times, and completely memorize the lyrics and the chorus and the beat. And, you know, then what she does is then she alters the song and she will we'll harmonize with it. So the next time it comes on the radio, actually nobody listens to radio anymore. What do the kids listen to? Spotify. It comes on Spotify, and she'll actually harmonize with it, and it's completely different material than the source material, and it's perfect. Like, she can harmonize anything. We'll be going down the street, and she can harmonize with a car horn. I mean, how do you do that? You should be on the X-Men. Like, that's some kind of weird superpower, some mutant ability, right? And she just does it without, like, any effort at all. It's just effortless. And it's amazing to me because... I can't, I can't do this, okay? This is so foreign to me. Like, like we, sometimes we'll be walking down the street, and she'll bust out a song from when she was five years old. We used to listen to these Hillsong's um, kids' DVDs, right? Hillsong's a church in Australia. And she'll just break out like in an Australian accent, like, Jesus, let your light shine. Jesus, let your light shine. And then she'll do the motions and she'll do all this stuff. And I'm like, who are you? How do you know that? We haven't listened to that in a decade. And she's just got this skill. I, I actually am terrible in this area. So never stand by me during worship. I actually like to sit by myself because I close my eyes and I don't remember the lyrics. So I'll make them up. I'll just heck them, make them up. So it's like, Jesus, these aren't the droids you're looking for. People are like, what is this idiot saying? I'll mess you up. That's not my gift. Chorus, people like chorus, they'll help you. I will hurt you. It's because we have different gifts, yeah? We have different gifts. What are your gifts? All right. We're going to get practical today. She's using her gifts. Oops, my notes are out of order. Here we go. See, my logic just kicked in. Boom. The point is this. At Cornerstone, we don't want anybody to end up like the third servant. That's our heart in this church. We don't want anybody to end up 
having wasted their gift. Let's not be the guy who was afraid and buried his gift. Let's be like the other two servants who immediately went out and they obeyed. And this is one of the jobs of the local church. The Apostle Paul writes prolifically on this in the New Testament. He says a New Testament church should be an environment of local believers who are helping each other discover their gifts from God. He writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans chapter 12, in Ephesians 4, and some other places. And he describes this picture of the Christian community as being this, this collaborative like group where, where we are using our gifts in unity but individually in such a way that we're all expressing love towards God and we're making this great impact and creating value for the kingdom. This is the church environment. Imagine this, like on all of our campuses, right? Hundreds, thousands of people scattered around the East Bay at all five of our locations online that each person is fully alive and fully engaged in participating in God's good work as we utilize the sets of abilities that Jesus has put inside of us. And when we come across passages like this, love the Lord with all of your strength, Jesus is saying, guys, this is the direction I want you to head with your life. I want you to go for it. Don't be afraid. Oh, that's, that's something I can buy into. That's kind of why I like being around this place, one of the many reasons. So let's talk about how we're going to apply this specifically today here at Cornerstone at Church Life. Okay, at each of our campuses, if you're online, and here in Livermore, you're going to see a board like this that's located in, in all of our lobby areas. And this board is new. You're going to see this around in our physical environments from this point forward. And on this board, you're going to read the sign. This says, I would like to love God and my neighbors by colon. You see this colon? Okay. And then there's these cards that are hanging on them. And each one of these cards has an impact statement on them that represents an area of church. Like this black one here, it says, I would like to do this by helping create a memorable weekend experience. So this card represents all the ministries that go into making a weekend service happen. So there's parking teams and security and worship production, uh, guest services, hospitality. Tons of people make this whole environment happen. It's incredible. Hundreds and hundreds serving each weekend. And so if you read this and you're like, hey, you know what? I think my gifts could be really utilized in this area. Then you just take this card and on the back you fill out your name and then there's a preferred method of contact and then you'll drop it in the little box. So here's my commitment to you. All right. If you fill out this card today, within 48 hours, someone from your campus is going to get back to you. Okay, so don't give us a fake email or don't give us your burner phone number, okay? All right, I know a lot of you have burner phones because you're in that kind of work. I don't know what that is. But we're going to contact you. Get back to us, all right? We're not robocallers. We're not trying to sell you life insurance from Charleston, South Carolina or whatever. Okay, we're cornerstoners, and what we're trying to do is have a, a, a contact so that we can set up a, a short meeting, a coffee time, or here at church while you're already here. We want to set up a short, focused meeting where we talk about your gifts, where we talk about what the Lord's doing in your life, your experiences, how you served in the past. And the purpose of that discussion is to help fit you into a serving opportunity here at church that matches you with how God shaped you. So when you fill this card out, you're not signing up for anything except a conversation. All right, so you're not, oh, this is 12 hours of serving a month in some ministry that you hate. Okay, that's not happening. 
That's not happening. What's happening is a process is beginning to help you connect. Remember, we're trying to not be the third servant. We want to use our strengths and our gifts and love the Lord uh, in this way. So also, when you fill out this card, if you don't know what your strengths are, that's okay. Some of you are like, I have all the strengths. No, you don't. Some of you are, I don't have any strengths. Yes, you do. We have processes in place to help you discover that already. And the people that contact you, they're going to help you connect to those resources. Uh, some of you, um, you, you're like, I don't know where I want to serve. There's kid men. There's students. who I have no idea. Just put me somewhere where I'm most useful. We can do that. Some others of you are more introverted, and you're like, I just don't want to be in front of people. All right? Just put me behind the scenes somewhere. We've got that covered, too. So all kinds of options geared towards the specifics of how you're wired up. If you're online and you're watching this, or if you're like, hey, I'm here and I don't want to go where people are, I might bump somebody's shoulder so you don't want to go to a wall, then you can check out our website. This is uh, cornerstoneweb.org slash serve, and basically on this landing page, it's going to recreate this whole process for you online, so we have an online option. Oh my goodness, Billy, you figured everything out. What did you expect from Mr. Logic, okay? All right, lastly, if you're already serving... I want, to say, I want to say something to you. Thank you. You're already engaged. You're serving. You're using your gifts. You're in this terrible talents process. Wonderful. Um, quick. Maybe you're like, I want to go next level with that. I think I'm ready to take on more, or there's some things I think the Lord's doing in my life. I need, I need some, some more to it. So, great. We want to talk to you about it. Flip that over. Maybe you're like, I'm serving, but, boy, I'm burned out. I need a break. That's excellent. This is about the rest process. You can't get strong by just lifting weights all the time. The acids build up in your muscles and you burn out, right? It's the same way with serving. There are seasons of rest and then there's seasons of activity. So we want to walk you through that as well. All right, here's here's the thing. Cornerstone, question, can we do this? Can we live out this teaching? All right, it's simple yet profound. It's not pie in the sky. It's very practical. I don't know about you, but I want to hear Jesus say at the end of it, Billy, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I'm shooting for. That's the target that I'm aiming my life at. And I can't wait to hear that. And it's going to make it all worth it. All of the struggle and the pain and the frustration of this life will be worth it in that one moment to hear Jesus say those words. And that's not just my dream for me. As a pastor of this church, every single one of you, my desire is is that that would be the blessing that Jesus speaks over your life one day when we meet him face to face. And so to that end, oh, we can clap for that. That's totally cool. The clapping started here, so this is my favorite section. Okay, I'm just teasing. What I want to do now, let's just pray. Let's pray and let's get out of here and go do this. So if you would, please, let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord, we just are so encouraged and inspired by what it is that you've taught us here. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to overcome fear. And if we've fallen into the comparison trap game, that you would, by your grace and strength, pull us out of that so that we would be effective at understanding ourselves and then using and utilizing every single gift that you've got inside of us. And I thank you, Lord, for this church. I pray that so many of us are in this process. And if there's anybody that hasn't yet started, I ask that you would give us the courage to take our next step with Jesus today. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are the, you are the strongest of all. You hold all the gifts. Jesus, you had them all. 
And now you, you lovingly and skillfully distribute them to each of us, and we thank you that you're in charge. And so now, Lord, we take this teaching, we hide it in our hearts, and help us to live it out. And we ask all of this in our prayer, in your beautiful name, in your strong name, in the name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen.